0: You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. This week, Israel's Parliament, the Knesset, voted to dissolve itself, opening the way for fresh elections on March 17th next year, halfway through the Parliament's statutory term. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called for early elections after he sacked the Finance Minister Yair Lapid and Justice Minister Tsipi Livni, the leaders of two of the parties in his coalition. So why is Mr Netanyahu going to the country early? And what's the likely shape of Israel's next government? To discuss this, I'm joined from Jerusalem by our correspondent Mark Weiss and here in studio by the Irish Times foreign policy editor Patrick Smith. Mark, can you tell us first, why did Mr Netanyahu call this election?
1: Well, for about a month um, previous to last week's decision uh, to go to uh, an early election against March, the government had basically become ungovernable. Um, As you know, all Israeli uh, governments are made up uh, of a coalition between various parties. Um, This one managed to hold together for almost two years. However, the differences um, over the last few weeks became um, prominent, um, added into this, mix. We have bitter personal uh, rivalries uh, between a lot of the coalition heads. We got to a situation that basically any a major initiative from one of the coalition partners over the last month or so would be blocked by another of the coalition partners uh, on every single major issue, through economic, social change, the nationality, Jewish nation-state bill. Nothing was moving. Uh, it had become intolerable. The prime minister took the coalition heads together a few weeks ago and said, we cannot go on like this. We need to to compromise all these major issues. Uh, things only got worse after that. Um, even the budget has been held up. Israel will not have a budget uh, by next year. Uh, and in the end, the prime minister basically had no choice. Um, it, it, there was no way this... Uh, squabbling would stop. Mark, perhaps you could just take us
0: through. uh, There were five uh, parties in this coalition. Maybe you could just describe the political complexion of it. Just what made up this mélange that was the outgoing coalition?
1: It was a coalition of um, uh, from the right through to the centre parties. unusually for an Israeli coalition, there was no, no religious parties in this coalition. And for some, some analysts believe that's the reason uh, that it fell apart so quickly, because usually um, a prime minister can strike a deal with the religious parties, uh, pay them off, basically, what, what, uh, on elements that are important for them, which is basically funding for their um, Jewish religious schools, and they will remain loyal coalition partners. Uh, as I said, they're not, they were not in the outgoing coalition. So we had a strange mix of the far-right Jewish Home Party, supported um, very strongly by the settler movement in this country. We had the main party, the prime Minister's Likud. And we had um, center or even center-left parties, Yesha Tid, um, uh, led by the finance minister, Yeulapid, and even Hatsnuah, the party led by... Um, uh, center-leftist um, politician, Israel's former foreign minister, Siti Livni. So there was a very, uh, and also, of course, uh, Viktor Lieberman's party, uh, Yisrael Beitenu. So there was a very large discrepancy, for instance, on diplomatic issues, whereas Siti Livni, for her, she led the negotiations with the Palestinians uh, aiming towards reaching uh, a two-state solution. Those talks, of course, failed. And on the right, within the coalition, there were parties that would never yield any territory in the West Bank. So it was a very strange mix from the beginning. And some analysts from the beginning said this coalition will not be able to stick together for a long time, and that's exactly what happened.
0: So as you were saying, uh, there were all kinds of factors to do with policy, to do with personalities, and to do with other rivalries. But one of the issues which received a lot of attention both inside and outside uh, Israel was this uh, proposal for a a new nation-state law. Could you explain what that proposal is?
1: Well, Israel has always been an anomaly in the sense that uh, it is a thriving democracy, as you know. Uh, Uh, Israeli leaders will constantly boast that this is the only democracy in the Middle East. However, at the same time, it is a Jewish nation-state which discriminates in favor of Jews in many realms. The most obvious, I think, would be the law of return, which grants the right of any Jewish person anywhere in the world um, the right to immediately uh, come and live in Israel, uh, whereas that right uh, is denied people who are not Jewish. That's just one example. So it has always been um, a mix between the democratic element of Israel and the Jewish element of the state of Israel. Um, Israel has no written constitution. um, So what the right-wing parties were pushing for now is a new nationality bill that would basically, without going into all the details, would basically shift um, the very delicate balance between Jewish and democracy more in favor of Jewish. And one of the reasons of this is because they perceive the Supreme Court, who, um, who of course, rules on all these constitutional issues, uh, to be too much in favor of the democratic camp as against the Jewish element.
0: And the, the criticism of this bill, as I understand it, there are two. One is uh, people simply saying, look, it's not necessary. Uh, you know, Everybody knows Israel is a Jewish state and a democracy, and so you don't need to enshrine all of this. And the other is that uh, what people are saying is that if you do enshrine uh, this distinction in law, what you're suggesting is that those citizens of Israel uh, who are not Jewish, uh, who are Muslim, who are Christian, or indeed who are atheists, uh, perhaps, that they uh, – that there are certain rights, national rights, which they won't have access to.
1: That was the argument, indeed. Um, I think most people uh, would argue that it wasn't necessary. As I said, from the very beginning, Israel has been both a gem- democratic and Jewish state. So why tinkle with this? Why, why try to change it at this stage, um, particularly when you have such a, a shaky coalition? And the second point you raise is, is that, yes, there were elements amongst Israel's Israel minority, whether it be Muslim Druze Christian that say that argued that this uh, this new law would uh, turn them effectively into second class citizens one of the um, clauses in one of the proposals was to um make Hebrew the only national language in this country at the moment Arabic is also considered a national language um but it, it very much depended on what the final wording of uh, the Jewish state bill would have been. There were a, a, a few different versions floating around and also very much would have depended on how the courts, uh, the judiciary would have interpreted uh, any changes to the system. So, of course, with new elections, uh, no bill uh, was enacted. So, at the moment, that's on hold.
0: Paddy Smith, how has this proposal been received outside Israel?
2: Well, not not well. It has to be said that there's a whole series of, of uh, issues uh, um which Israel is at odds with uh, even those who regard themselves as normally as allies uh, it, it it it's fighting with um uh, the Americans and the, the the Germans and the Europeans generally about the issue of settlements. It's fighting uh, with them about uh, a number of, of things, like the Iran talks, for example. And the national law was just one of those things which, which added to a list of grievances that other countries had about what Israel was doing. They felt that it was provocative and dangerous and was going to make any, any kind of a potential deal with the Palestinians more difficult.
0: Some of those who uh, favor this proposal have been saying that one of the reasons that it was necessary, uh, or that it is necessary, is because of the international atmosphere, that there has been a campaign of delegitimization of the uh, state of Israel as a Jewish state, that there's all this talk about a, a one-state solution which uh, which might uh, remove uh, or, or threaten the character of Israel as a Jewish state. Is that an argument that has uh, validity? Well, I think it's
2: largely in the, in the minds of the Israelis. It has to be said, and it's it's a, it's a tool of their their propaganda to suggest that that there's a has been a hardening of attitudes against uh, the idea of, of of a two-state solution. In fact, if you look at the statements of all of the international politicians who are concerned with the Israeli thing, they keep reiterating their commitment to 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 a two-state uh, solution and and keep warning that Israel is making it more and more difficult itself by building more settlements, for example.
0: And, and that's that's the reality. Paddy, how will the uh, international community outside Israel assess this uh, outgoing government of Benjamin Netanyahu?
2: Um, I think there is a sense that uh, over a number of, of issues, uh, th- that Israel has, over the last uh, couple of years, been less preoccupied uh, than ever uh, with uh, in any way, placating international opinion, and uh, th- this is true, particularly I would say, of, of its relationship with with America, where the the re- relationship with Obama, the Obama administration, is abrasive, uh, where Netanyahu has actually sided quite openly on a number of occasions with Republican uh, members of Congress, and that. The international community, I think, is pretty fed up with with Netanyahu, but there doesn't seem to be much
0: prospect of him being replaced. Uh, Mark Weiss, is this uh, election, is it effectively a referendum on Netanyahu?
1: I think so. Um, as I said before, there was no burning issues that forced uh, uh, the Prime Minister to call new elections. In the absence of this, um, What we're looking at is, uh, I think, in the minds of most voters, uh, is the following question. Do you want uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to serve a fourth term as Israeli prime minister? Uh, I think that's what most people will be, um, particularly the undecided voters or those wavering between different parties or, or more significantly, between different blocs, will be um, thinking when they go to the polls It's a very fluid situation at the moment. If you look at it on paper, the latest polls of the weekend, then the right-wing and religious bloc has a clear uh, um, advantage over the left-wing and centre bloc. However, the same the same polls show that sixty-five percent of the Israeli public do not want uh, Mr. Netanyahu to serve a fourth term. So, if a credible alternative emerges during the election campaign, and people can see a real possibility of uh, replacing Netanyahu with someone uh, that um, is at least acceptable to them, maybe not uh, someone they would normally vote for, but people who are fed up with Bibi uh, will look for any alternative, then we may well see a surprise uh, at the election
0: campaign and moves on. So perhaps we could just take a look at what uh, form that alternative might take. Israeli elections are always uh, interesting to watch, partly because of these shifting alliances that you have. And quite often, for example, you'll have a new political party emerging uh, just in time for the election. What are we seeing as the possible alliances or the likely alliances as we head into the election period now?
1: We have the classic uh, right-wing and religious parties uh, forming a block together, um, making up about uh, just over 60 Knesset seats, according to the latest polls, in the 120-seat Knesset. That would be a small uh, majority. Um, we see Netanyahu's Likud party emerging as the leading party at the moment, although whereas Israel for many decades after independence was basically split between um, two main parties, Labour and Likud, Uh, that has changed. And we're now talking about um, five or six medium-sized parties. Um, We can predict, um, I think, a very significant development over the next few days or maybe next week. Livni, who is, uh, as I said before, center-leftist, is a former prime minister, the outgoing justice minister. She leads a relatively small party called Hatsunwa. According to the polls, this party will not even uh, um, reach the electoral threshold in the new elections. So she is currently um, involved in negotiations to joining one of the other parties on the left or center. The polls, uh, the interesting development I was talking about is that the latest polls from yesterday show that if Livni joins with uh, The Labour Party, led by um, Yitzhak Herzog, this will significantly change um, uh, the the situation uh, in the polls and will make uh, the new Labour-Livni alliance emerge as the biggest party uh, with more seats um, than Netanyahu's Likud party. Now, this could, Uh, it shows, incidentally, that the Labour with Livni would win 23 seats as opposed to only 21 for the Likud. Now, this could uh, form uh, significant momentum that might be the big boost that the left-centre camp um, needs.
0: But, of course, if they, uh, let's look at those figures. Even if they, the, the centre-left camp uh, gets a boost, it also needs allies. Where would it find those allies that could actually put them into government?
1: And we're not, we're not yet at the stage um, of a center-left uh, alliance necessarily forming against government. It's all very premature. It's all very speculative. But uh, we're talking about the possibility, as I said, of emerging as the biggest party, momentum, and most critically, maybe leading to a shift of people who would traditionally vote right-center shifting to the left-center alternative. Uh, the other parties that would join such a Labour-Livni coalition, would be merits on the left, and um, a couple of center parties, uh, Yeshatid, led by the outgoing finance minister, Yair Lapid, and a new centrist party, uh, led by a former Likud minister, a very popular minister, uh, Moshe Kachlon. He uh, significantly, very significantly, a couple of days ago said he represents um, Likud voters who do believe in a territorial compromise. So he could be a possible um, element that would join the left-centre government. Such a government, of course, would need to court uh, the uh, ultra-orthodox uh, parties uh, after the election. Um, uh, it is, and uh, maybe even um, y- Yisrael Beiteinu, led by Avigdor Lieberman, who is generally considered very right-wing, but is somewhat of a maverick in Israeli politics. And there's a lot of speculation that even he could join um, such a left-centre coalition, Basically because um, of deep antipathy between him and Prime Minister Netanyahu.
0: All of which suggests, uh, Mark, that this view that uh, people outside Israel tend to have about the Israeli electorate, which is that uh, it's been moving inexorably towards the right, that this may not tell the whole story.
1: There is an element of truth for that. The Israeli electorate definitely has been moving rightward um, ever since, basically, the collapse of the Oslo Peace Accords. And each wave of uh, terrorism within Israel or each wave of, uh, each conflict, whether it be on the Lebanese border on the Gaza border, tends to uh, exacerbate that shift, uh, uh, um, turning people, particularly the youngsters, uh, first-time voters, even more to the right. Uh, However, there are, as I said, uh, other elements involved. There is definitely a BB fatigue. People are a bit fed up with Netanyahu, want to change. There are very important uh, economic issues here. The cost of living uh, has not been dented throughout Netanyahu's uh, uh, many years in power. And neither has the spiraling cost of apartments in Israel. Uh, if the center-left can provide an alternative on those issues, then again, there may be, uh, this may be um, add momentum to a shift from Netanyahu towards other alternatives.
0: Harry Smith.
2: Yeah, I, I w- wanted just to ask you, Mark, about the, the Palestinians and their possible intervention. I, I know that there's talk of the, the Palestinians going to the United Nations uh, with their complaint against uh, uh, Israel at the moment, and that the, this will certainly annoy the, the uh, Israeli leadership. Would it have an effect on, on the elections?
1: I think uh, the Palestinian element in the elections is is less pronounced uh, at the moment than it has been in all last few Israeli election campaigns, basically because it's relatively quiet. The West Bank is relatively quiet. Um, There was um, quite a lot of violence recently in Jerusalem, but this seems to be quieting down now. Um, The danger from the um, left-center perspective is that um, terrorist attacks by Palestinian militants, again, as I just said, would definitely cause uh, a rightward uh, swing in the Israeli electorate. Um, that's what the left is fearing, I think. There is another argument that says that uh, if that happens, if there is more violence because of the diplomatic deadlock, it may, uh, that may show some of the electorate that Netanyahu can no longer uh, maintain his boast that when he is prime minister, uh, Israelis feel secure. So again, it's not a key element, and I don't think any moves on the international uh, Uh, arena by the Palestinians, such as a U.N. statehood bid, would particularly um, affect uh, the way most people uh, would vote here. But uh, a resumption of violence definitely could, and has in the past. It was basically the issue that lost Shimon Peres the election uh, in the late 90s to Benjamin Netanyahu.
0: And, uh, and Mark, if we were to imagine an alternative government to one led by uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, let's imagine that this centre-left bloc was at the, at the heart of this new government. What might we expect to see in terms of uh, the policies towards the Palestinians, towards the uh, peace process, and indeed towards the international community?
1: well essentially they would be much more uh, willing to negotiate a uh, two state solution they would certainly uh, advocate sitting down again and talking to the palestinians but um and um, would be more willing to make ter- the key territorial com- uh, concessions that are needed to reach a deal however um that does not mean that peace would be any closer many people in this country believe that uh, Essentially, the problem is on the other side, on the Palestinian willingness to make uh, concessions that are needed, particularly on uh, issues such as um, the division of Jerusalem, um, on um, agreeing to some kind of Israeli military presence in the West Bank after uh, any agreement, and on even more deeper ideological questions, such as, as we mentioned before, recognizing Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, unless there's significant movement uh, on these issues on the other side. Uh, many Israelis would argue that it didn't really matter who is prime minister here, because it takes two to tango. And there is perception, rightly or wrongly, amongst many Israelis, that um, the Palestinian president Mahmoud Abbas is simply not strong enough, even if he wanted to make the concessions that are needed, uh, to strike any peace deal with Israel.
0: Paddy Smith, the international community uh, has more or less made up its mind about Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, He's been around a long time. They know what they think of him. If there were to be a change of leadership in Israel, do you think that would have any significant impact on the way in which Israel is perceived in Europe and in the United States?
2: Well, I, I think that there would be perhaps a renewed energy to to um, trying to get uh, peace talks going again, and it might cut across um, the moves which are spreading to to have um, the Palestinian state recognised by a number of, of parliaments. We've seen Sweden already, but we've seen informal, non-binding votes in places like the Irish Senate and and uh, uh, in in Britain. I think certainly a. A government in in Jerusalem that was um, in Tel Aviv that was more um, s- uh, interested in how the the world perceived it uh, w- would would help uh, the, the the diplomatic climate
0: and finally mark uh, to what extent is Israel uh, and our Israeli voters concerned about how the international community perceives them
1: there is um, um, concern that Israel is um, increasingly uh, isolated on the international arena, um, that uh, more and more European parliaments, for instance, are accepting, voting in favor, recognition of a Palestinian state, even though on the ground it makes little difference. Um, I don't think Israelis want to be um, uh, considered some kind of pariah state. Israel trades very heavily, of course, We're with Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, there is a fear that uh, continuing settlement activity, would uh, only uh, increase pressure uh, international in international uh, countries for a boycott on Israeli products etc um, so that's problematic, but it's not a burning issue uh, for Israelis. It must be said Israelis will put their own security uh, at the forefront, and if they believe that um, it's not the right time now to hand back parts of the West Bank because of the turmoil in the whole of this region of the violence on all Israel's borders and the fear that um, Islamic militants will seize control of the West Bank, um, I think that would be a much more significant um, factor in Israeli decision-making than um, unease or outright opposition amongst the international community.
0: Mark Weiss in Jerusalem and Patrick Smith here in Dublin. Thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories at irishtimes.com and you can contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White, and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.